Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. It was kind of surprising just to see the, the range of providers that actually said, look, this is a, a good deal for us, and this is something that we want to participate in. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Episode-based payments, also sometimes referred to as bundled payments, are an innovative payment model designed to overcome some of the shortcomings of fee-for-service. In a bundle, you get a single payment for an episode of care with a defined beginning, a defined end, and inclusion of all related services. Bundled payments have multiple goals. They're designed to increase accountability and coordination. And of course, they're also designed to create incentives for efficiency and saving money. Now, the Medicare program has been a leader in using bundled payments, and much of what we know about their effectiveness comes from Medicare. We know less about potential savings associated with episode-based payments among private payers. That's going to be our topic today. On today's Health Policy, I'm joined by Dr. Chris Whaley, a policy researcher in healthcare at the Rand Corporation. Whaley and co-authors evaluated a payment program developed by Carum Health and used by self-insured employers. We published the results in Health Affairs in March of 2021, and they're really quite dramatic. That's what we'll be discussing uh, today. Dr. Whaley, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alan, and really excited to be here and to talk about our paper. Yeah, let's talk about your paper. It's got some really interesting findings, but let's make sure everyone understands what it is you focused on in your analysis. So I gave the one-sentence version, but say a little bit more about the concept of an episode-based payment or a bundled payment. Sure. So one of the the things we know about the U.S. healthcare system is that there's lots of variation in both price and quality. And a lot of the the variation in in spending and and quality is due to to things like readmissions, uh, complications that maybe could have been avoided. And so Medicare has really been at the forefront of of addressing this variation by by using bundled payments. And so what this does is it gives the the provider a a set window of period where all the, the costs are covered by a single fee. And so if you're a, an efficient provider and you're able to, to cover uh, everything within that period at a lower cost or operate a bit more efficiently, then that's a way for you as a provider to make money. And if you're a provider that, that maybe isn't able to, to operate as efficiently, then this is a, a pretty strong financial incentive for you to be a more efficient provider. And efficiency here can presumably come in a lot of different forms, right? What does it mean to be efficient as part of a bundle? Exactly. So really what, what this is about is, is managing patient downstream services. And so what, one of the, the big areas of, of cost drivers and spending drivers for, for things like surgeries, and especially things like joint replacement surgeries, which are, are kind of big ticket items, is things like readmission. So some patients, the initial surgery might not go well, and they have to come back in and, and get a revision, or a, a patient may not have a, a great outcome during the surgery, and so needs to be discharged to a, a high cost center. And so if you hold the provider account for everything that happens in a, a longer window than just the surgery itself and just the period of performance of the surgery, then that gives the, the provider an incentive to, to be a little bit more holistic in how they treat the patient. And I could see efficiency occurring, as you say, a redo is obviously very expensive, but it's also about the price, right? If, if you send someone off to a rehab center that's very expensive, and that's part of your basically paying for it out of your own bundle, you're going to have an incentive to find a cheaper one. So that's like efficiency is both 
quality and sort of price cost. Is that right? That, that's right. And so those types of, of factors all exist in the, the Medicare system. But on the, the private side, the variation in, in price and, and in cost is actually quite a bit larger than what we see on the Medicare side. And so in the, the Medicare bundled payment model, there, there is a, a pretty strong financial incentive to be more efficient. And there are several studies that have actually shown that providers really do change their behavior under the Medicare program. And so what we're interested in is in a, a setting like the, the commercial market where you have the, the same utilization uh, variation, same quality variation, but just in order of magnitude, larger price variation, how do bundle payments work? And so that's what we, we wanted to do in this study. Okay, so let's w- tiptoe our way up to the results because you've, you've put a lot out there on the table. Let's start with the service type. Not everything can be bundled. Not everyone tries to bundle everything. Where do we see most of the activity around those who are trying to use bundled payments? Yeah, so these are are mainly big ticket surgical services or big ticket items where where A, that the service is expensive and there are associated downstream costs. So whether that's sending the the patient to a different type of rehab facility or potential revisions or or readmissions for for the initial surgery. And so in our study, we looked at three surgeries, so spinal fusion surgeries, major joint replacement. So this is mainly knee and hip replacement surgeries and bariatric surgery. And these are common places to look because, as you say, they're big ticket, they're relatively frequent, and they have a kind of defined beginning, middle, and end. That's right. And another thing I'd add, too, is that these are, in some sense, shoppable services. And so if you need a knee replacement, you as a patient have some leeway and and some time to decide, I want to go to this provider or that provider. And so if you're thinking of something like, say, a, an emergency room visit or something like that, there's really just not the, the same level of ability for patients to decide where they go. And so a bundle wouldn't really be appropriate for those type of services. That makes a ton of sense. So you teed up some of the differences between Medicare and commercial, but let's start with what we know from Medicare. So what have we learned? What are the key lessons out of episode-based payment in, on the Medicare side as it relates to these major surgical procedures? So I think the main savings are twofold. So one, providers seems like did responded to these incentives by being more efficient and providing better quality of care to to patients. And so things like readmission rates and, and discharges to to high cost sites of care actually decreased. And then as a, as a result of this, Medicare spending went down by a couple percent for these services. And so overall, I, I think the the results have been pretty encouraging for the Medicare bundled payments. Yeah, so that's a great platform. I mean, we're all looking for ways to save money. And so here's a nice starting point. But now this program you studied was in the commercial market. So tell us a little bit about what they did. That's right. And so this program is for the the employer-sponsored market, so people who get insurance through an employer. And overall, the the system is, is relatively similar to the Medicare model or, or build, I, I think, on a lot of that, that same logic. I think there is a, a key difference here in that in Medicare, prices are, are pretty much set across the board. And so the price that one hospital or, or, or surgical center charges versus another is, is more or less the same. So a lot of the, the Medicare savings come from all these downstream costs. 
On the other hand, in the private market, the price that one hospital might be charging might be, you know, three or four times the price that another hospital might be charging. And so there's just a, a tremendous amount of variation in price. And so to address this, what this program that we study does is actually tie the, the bundled payments mechanism to a, a preferential negotiated price. And so what, what the, this model has done is said to, to individual providers, look, we're, we're going to give you a, a lower price and a price that is included in the, in the bundle or, or paid through, through a bundle payment. And we're going to send patients through this bundle to, to you. And so you, you might think that if you go to a, a provider and say, we're going to uh, pay you less than maybe you would have otherwise, and we're also going to tie this financial incentive to that payment, that most providers would just say, say no. But on, it was kind of surprising just to see the, the range of providers that actually said, look, that this is a, a good deal for us, and this is something that we want to participate in. And I think the reasons are, are really twofold. So one, if, if you're a provider that participates in the, this bundled payment program, then you know that you're going to get kind of a steady stream of patients. And so maybe it's at a, a lower price, but you're getting those number of patients in on, on a pretty constant basis. And then the other, I, I think, uh, strong reason for providers to, to participate is just the, the way that the, the payment's actually made. And so the payment is part of this bundle, but it's a, a check that kind of comes in all at once. And so if you're a, a normal or if you're a provider operating under a normal environment, each service that's done has to have a bill and you have to work with your, your billing department and go through the insurance system. And there's just a lot of administrative hassle to actually get what may be a higher price. And so here, maybe the, the overall amount is, is lower, but you as a provider get that in uh, on a, a kind of a guaranteed basis and know exactly what you're getting. And so that's just, I think, a little bit easier administratively for many providers to deal with. Let me just ask, I mean, we talked about Medicare leadership in this area. Uh, presumably the same providers who are doing knee replacements for the commercially insured population in this program are also doing knee replacements for Medicare enrollees who may be in one of these payment bundle models already. So presumably this wasn't like a total shock to the system for these providers. They were familiar with the concepts and maybe even had some experience in the program? I, I think that's a, a really good point. We, we didn't test that specifically in the, in the paper, but as Medicare over the last couple of years has really popularized and, and gotten providers to, to accept these bundles and kind of learn how things work, if you will, then I think that just generally makes it easier for, for these types of, of payment models to work for the commercial side. All right. Well, we're going to hear the results, but I think maybe we'll just tease everyone with a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll find out a little bit more about what the results of this experiment were. Enjoying the show? Make sure to subscribe to Health Affairs Today to catch a daily roundup of news, analysis, and commentary. Topics range from federal and state health policies to the latest on health inequities. And it's free. Head to www.healthaffairs.org and click newsletter sign up in the menu to join the premier health policy community. And we're back. I'm talking to Dr. Chris Whaley about a study he led that shows the results of an employer-provided uh, bundled payment program, particularly focused on major surgeries. Before the break, you laid out what the program looked like. So 
What'd you find? Let's start with sort of the basic findings. What happens when you impose this alternative payment model on a commercial population? Overall, we found that the program worked as, as I think we, we expected it to. And so for the, the employers that implemented the program, their overall costs fell by about 11%. And so this includes people who went through the program and, and those who didn't. And about 20% or 20% of the people actually went through this program. And so the, the people who actually went through the bundled payments program saved about $16,000 or rather their, their surgical procedures were about $16,000 less expensive than, than those who didn't. I, I just, I have to stop right away and say, those are, you know, we publish a lot of studies where the results are a percent or two here. Those numbers sound really big. Can you put them in the context of what we know about the Medicare bundled payment programs? Yeah. So the Medicare bundled payment program across the board saves about three-ish percent. And so just due to the, the wide variation in, in prices, the savings that we're able to get on, on the commercial side are about four to five times larger than what we have on the Medicare side. Okay. I just had to stop you there because I don't want uh, people to miss that. So, and this is presumably in large part because you have a price lever here that doesn't exist in the same way in the Medicare side, in addition to all of the other coordination and accountability uh, changes that may occur within the Medicare uh, program. Now, we don't get deep into methods in the podcast, but one thing that I did think was important is you present sort of the, the mean savings, which you just described, but you also present the distribution of prices. And I just wonder if you can explain why it's important to look at both of those when you're trying to understand the effects of a program like this. Yeah, so so what, one of the things that, that we highlight in, in the article is just the, the, the wide range in prices that, that we see on, on the commercial side. So for example, if we look at, at spinal fusion surgeries, we find that the people who, who didn't go through the program, the, the difference between the 25th and the 75th price percentile is almost $100,000. And so that means that, that some patients who, for whatever reason, go to, to higher price providers are, are accounting for $100,000 or nearly $100,000 in costs relative to patients who, who went to lower price providers. And if we look at providers or pa patients, rather, who went through the, the bundle payments program, the, the, there's essentially no price variation. So, so the difference between the, the 75th and the 25th price percentile for bundled payments or for, for patients who went to the, through the, the bundled payments program is, is about $2,000. And so the, the overall distribution of prices is quite a bit narrower in the program. So you're not just shifting the cost curve down, you're dramatically squeezing the variation, which is something, you know, people have been studying and trying to figure out how to tackle for decades. That, that's exactly right. Say a little more about what you know about the types of patients, types of services, and, and maybe as a part of that, one other, we, we talked about the difference between Medicare and commercial having to do with the pricing, but there's also a difference with respect to patient cost sharing because you have flexibility in the employer program. So maybe if you could pull those two themes together. Yeah. So, so what, one of the, the ways that this program was actually get patients to, to go to lower price providers 
is, is to say, look, we're not just giving financial incentives to, to providers, but we're also going to give a, a financial incentive to the patient. And so if you're a patient who chooses to get your, your knee replacement or your bariatric surgery or, or your spinal fusion surgery at one of the, the providers that, that participates in the program, then this program actually waives all cost sharing for the patient. And so that, that can be a, a pretty big incentive for the patient. So the providers that are, are part of the list are, I think, pretty high reputation and high profile providers. So for example, the Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, Stanford. And so if you can go to one of these kind of name brand facilities for, for free, then I, I think most patients would say that's a, a pretty good deal. And so you know, we, we, sorry, but we talk a lot in healthcare, particularly people who are focused on the cost side, about alignment of incentives between providers and patients and about how the structure of insurance, you know, with a deductible, once I've met my deductible, I have no reason to pick a provider whose pricing is lower, who's going to get paid a little less because it's all borne by insurance. So this is one of these relatively rare places where you can say to both the provider and the patient, you'll both be better off if you make this decision. And that alignment seems like that's a, a major factor in, in this design. That's right. One of the things that I, I really liked about this program and, and our results is that in some sense, three parties win. So one, the providers win from both getting more patients and having a lot more simplicity on their administrative side. Employers win because they, they save $16,000 per patient who, who goes through this program. And then patients also save quite a bit. So we, we found that due to waiving cost sharing, the, the average patient cost sharing per, per patient actually fell by about 28%. And so if you look at the patients who actually went through the program, they save around $2,000. And just to, to put that in context, that's the, you know, the, the rough average hijackable plan right now. And so essentially, you're just through aligning these incentives a bit more, more intelligently, essentially getting rid of a hijackable plan for, for these patients. Employers, particularly large employers who under federal ERISA are exempt from state insurance regulation, they are very protective of the flexibility they have by not being subject to state regulation. You've just described a scenario. You said all three parties win. Employers certainly win. But you also just told me that Medicare has been the leader here. Why aren't employers, if they have this flexibility, running full speed ahead toward this model? So th that's overall, I think, a good question. I do think that there has been lots of, of interest in this model. And so we, we looked at this model, I think our, our data cut off in early 2020, but I, I think over the last couple of months, they've really expanded both the, the number of, of providers that participate in the model. And so people in more markets now have access. And then also the, the types of products or the types of services that, that work through this bundle. So for example, oncology care. And I, I think one of the reasons that you know, may, maybe overall these things have been a little bit slow to, to take off is just the what's the effect hasn't really been known. And so hopefully, as people understand that, look, the, these are types of models that can both benefit providers, employers, and patients, that maybe there might be more growth. Yeah. So it's always, uh, it's always a little unfair to say it's not happening. And we, of course, hope that with a publication of evidence like this, it, it helps people make better decisions. You know, critics of bundles talk about two items. One is 
this is all about price per unit, but it doesn't affect units. So there's no, if the knee, the cheapest knee replacement is the one that doesn't happen. And this doesn't generate any savings around that. And then you sort of on the flip side have the, the concern about a patient dumping or screening out. Wow, that's a really complex knee or you've got some complex conditions. I'm only going to get paid a fixed amount for this. I don't want to take you as a patient. And that can be quite informal because you don't typically want to leave a paper trail behind that, but it, but it can have some real negative implications for the most complex populations. So given your overall understanding, I don't just mean from this study, do you feel like these critiques are valid? Yeah. So I, I think they, they are important to keep in mind. And so the, the program that we study also has, before the, the patient even gets to the bundle, and initial screening. And so this is a, a way for the, the provider and the patient to decide if a, a surgery is actually even necessary. And so one of the, the nice features of, of this model is that providers who give that initial screening to the patient and then decide that the patient or you know, jointly decide that, that maybe the patient doesn't need the surgery or maybe can wait to get the surgery actually receive an additional payment. And so this is an additional provider incentive to, to maybe use resources uh, a little bit more intelligently. And then for, for the, the broader concern of, of kind of, does this potentially lead to, to cherry picking you know, healthiest patients and, and maybe avoiding sicker patients? I, I think that's a, a real issue. And so uh, I think it's important to risk adjust the, these payments and, and make sure that we're actually giving providers incentives to still treat higher risk patients. Well, let me close you out with a sort of forward-looking question with respect to program design and research. We've learned a lot, but there's always more to be studied. We're in a new presidential administration where we've had a new name director of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, which is where these bundled uh, payment experiments have taken place. If you were to design the next bundle model to learn what you think is the most important question to be learned about episode-based payments or bundles, what what would some of the features of that next uh, model look like? So I, I think the big question is, is you know, this is right now, a, I think, a, a kind of boutique program. And so if we're to expand these programs much more broadly and, and in some sense make this the new norm, would that actually lead to, to broader changes? Just, just as to kind of highlight where maybe the, those impacts might come. In our study, we find that overall costs fall pretty considerably, but the, the employer in some sense gets a kind of eight to one ROI on, on that declining costs. And so if we're to expand this to, to a broader set of services, do, do, does that ROI and that, that investment change? And then I, I think the, the other interesting question is, and this kind of actually gets to, to one of your earlier points, if you're a provider and now have this incentive, whether it's through treating your own patient or through, through the Medicare system or through commercial payments like programs like this, does that actually just change how you as a provider practice medicine? And so even patients that you see who don't necessarily go through this program, do you maybe learn lessons from the bundled payments program and actually improve care for those patients. And so if, if that's the case, then there could be broader societal spillovers and, and just a, a kind of general increase in both the quality of care and, and efficiency savings. Well, we'll have to make sure that the right people listen to this podcast to get those ideas because uh, it really is striking both what you found, but also, as you note, because so much of this is tied to both 
pricing issues that don't apply in Medicare and to incentive alignment with patients that's much harder to do on the Medicare side. We, we still have a long way to go to figure out what we can do in this area. Really appreciate you spending the time with me to talk about this. I, I consider this to be very important and interesting research and I'm so glad we were able to publish it and look forward to seeing what you do next on this and other topics. Dr. Whaley, thanks for joining me on A Health Policy. Thank you. It's been great to be here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.